0: teach us you would be the instructor lord there was a day in my life when i was such a, a little baby and i had no knowledge of anything really and you taught me you were there behind all those who instructed me brought me out of a state of illiteracy and you taught me you gave me knowledge you humbled me you brought me to saving knowledge of jesus when i was a fool Father, I still have many foolish ways and prevent this moment from being invaded by a foolish tendency of mine to invade or to take over this sermon. Help me to preach Christ and him only and help all of us to glory in Christ. Help us to know how permanent your work is for us. Help us to listen to you, Lord. You are the one who caused us to believe. You who called us. We give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the Apostle Paul has already said to the to the Corinthians, we do not lose heart. One wonders why he uses that. Why does he talk to the Corinthians that way? If you know anything about Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians, it was a pretty rocky relationship. The Corinthians might be a group where it would be easy to lose heart with. The Corinthians had turned away from Paul. They had found what he calls super apostles. Paul had planted the church. He had loved them. He had risked much for them, and they have turned away from him. The Corinthians complained about Paul, and the Corinthians really didn't want Paul around. They had found these super apostles who could meet their needs. They had their own idea of what church should be like. And they were going to fashion it according to their own ideas. But the Apostle Paul wasn't going to let them go. And so he writes these letters to them. He says to them in 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, You have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but not many fathers. You have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. And so with fatherly care, he addresses what's needed. He does it with grace, and he does it with great purpose. And he's telling them about he's telling the, the these Corinthians about what it's like to be an apostle on apostolic mission. They're constantly fighting against losing heart. The temptation is there to lose heart. Are you facing that this morning? Is there an aspect of your life where you are losing heart? It's an awful place to be, isn't it? And we this is this is such a rich, rich passage to, to meditate on. And I, I, think, I think the Apostle Paul is is seeking to help the Corinthians understand that that they've lost heart with him. You see. They don't they don't believe in him anymore, and they've turned to their old cultural ways of, of fixing their needs. And so, what do they need? What do the Corinthians need? They need a father, they need a father who can help them understand how to withstand these temptations, the temptations to lose heart. They need to know how to live in this fallen world, and though they are suffering and experiencing difficulty, they can live in such a way that life is brought to others. You now, Self-centeredness is not something unique to just our generation Self-centeredness has characterized fallen man. We are turned in on ourselves, as Augustine describes. We are turned in on ourselves. Baby boomers, you know I'm always harping on baby boomers, and I have a right to because I am one. Baby boomers really seem to be the, <laughs> this generation that came along and felt they were entitled to everything, to a smooth life particularly, a life of where all their preferences are fulfilled. And lo and behold, life was more difficult than these baby boomers thought, and they experienced pain and suffering. Now, not only did they get a therapist, they found that they were a victim. And now, once they have experienced a difficulty, they have the right to dwell on it for the next 20 years. Uh... Uh, I'm being facetious sort of don't you find yourself there if you find yourself to be a prideful person and I am you will dwell often on self pity and I believe and we have taught here as a church the Christian life when it is really firing on all cylinders two things are happening freedom and power that's why I'm here I'm here, called of God, to help you and, as I preach, I'm helping myself to experience freedom and power. If Jesus is real to you, if his presence is inescapable to you, you'll be experiencing two things. Freedom from yourself and power to get over yourself. This is the gospel. The gospel allows us to do dangerous things because we are self-aware, self-focused, self-conscious... We even have a magazine called Self. That's us. We never seem to really get tired of ourselves. We can actually reinvent ourselves. You can be someone in your 20s, and you can do, ah, I'm tired of that. I'll be a whole new person in the 30s. And ah, I'm tired of that. I'll be another person, another thing. And so we just morph and change, and we're constantly changing, constantly moving to try and find something that will be the final magic it the magic it that will work for us. So the Corinthians need to know how to live in this fallen world and even though they are suffering and experiencing difficulty, they will live in such a way that life is brought to others. Life is brought to others. So the goal of this series is to connect you by faith to the rich resources of grace such that you will live in freedom and power. Now let me... Set up because where we're headed is verse, verses seven through uh, uh, seven through twelve, but where we're headed, so we've got to travel through verses one through six to get there. Take some time to get oriented here, and so first of all, I think there's the temptation is Paul describes a, a very honest temptation I think that he's experiencing. Look at verse one. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, this is a temptation for an apostle. It's a temptation for a minister. Here it is. Hmm, this doesn't seem very effective, this preaching the truth stuff, this Bible stuff, this Jesus as Lord stuff. No one seems to be responding. In fact, when Paul goes into a town, they throw bricks at him. That's how they show their appreciation. Well, why don't we adjust this message so it's a little more acceptable to people? Why don't we tweak this message? And you know, if we tweak the message, we wouldn't lose heart. Does that make sense? If we just tweak the message, we'll be more accepted. And it's hard when you're working with people when you're rejected and they throw bricks at you. So Paul is openly saying, well, the temptation is to change the message. And if we change the message, we won't lose heart. We'll actually feel good about ourselves and we'll be accepted and received and feel, you know, our, our self esteem will really take off. Everything's great. And Paul says, no, we renounce this approach. And we are relying solely on God to bring the results. Completely on God to bring the results. We're not going to manipulate it. We're not going to tweak it. We're not going to massage the crowd. Now, that's kind of a desperate place to be for a minister. It's the right place to be for a minister because they are to serve God's purposes as they preach and teach and disciple. Now, Charles Finney in American Christianity, Charles Finney years ago, sometime like 1870s, he came along and he introduced what he called new measures. Uh, we're not really big fans of Charles Finney here because Charles Finney tweaked things, adjusted things, and tried to make the word of God more effective. We don't, we don't start with that presupposition. The word of God is effective, is perfectly effective as God uses it. Paul says we, the minister just makes an open statement of the truth. Verse, verse 2. Now, this means that they are honest, forthright, and they don't manipulate God's word in order to not suffer because of the truth. They don't manipulate it, tweak it, in order to not suffer. The subtext, I would suggest, Corinthians, Corinthians, who have you got now preaching to you? Who have you got now training you? You are in danger of losing the truth. Now, verse 3 and verse 4, let's read this. And even if our gospel is veiled, that can be the experience of a ministry, it feels like no one can see, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why don't people believe? Uh I can just hide behind this text. <laughs> Why don't people believe? Take a look at your Bibles. Take a look at your worship folder. Why don't people believe? Verse 4. They will not believe, even if you have an amazing show in church and entertainment, fog machines, lasers, disco balls, they will not believe, even though you appeal to them with jazz music. It is not your method It is not your technique. It is a blinding of the eyes that none of these cosmetic things can can fix. The Apostle Paul is encouraging himself in a very strange way. There is a spiritual dynamic going on in the preaching of the gospel. If the gospel is not effective bearing fruit in conversions, he doesn't despair in this as if there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with his church, something wrong with his perspective, something wrong with... He's saying with confidence there's a spiritual dynamic going on. Conversion is a gift from God. The eyes are opened by God and he has no reason to lose heart as he looks out upon the results of his ministry. And Then he goes on, look Verse, verse 4, what, can, what, what do the unbelievers fail to see? Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, and what do, not, what do they not see? To keep them from seeing, and this is a complex sentence, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They can't see the glory that's in Jesus. I mean, we've had that experience, haven't we? When we're talking to someone who doesn't believe and they diminish Jesus, they have to. They diminish Jesus, he's maybe they give him a, a few kudos. They, he's a good teacher, a, a very moral person, but he is reduced to just a mere mortal who meant well, but really has nothing for me. They can't see any glory in him. And then verse 5, take a look at this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, imagine what message this might have been to the Corinthians. Were the preachers that the Corinthians had turned to preachers of themselves? Lots of stories, lots of anecdotes, lots of man-centered something. The Corinthians seem to be okay with preachers who preached themselves. And Paul says, We proclaim Jesus as Lord in every sense of that word. And and then he addresses their role as ministers, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now he's 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 set up. Now he's setting up Uh, a a theme that's going to come just around the corner. Now, when you are in danger of losing hope, you need to find hope. And where do you look to find hope? Now, preachers can look at the results. What's effective? What's out there? What do you look for? The results of hope is perhaps my circumstances Show that God loves me. My circumstances show that God cares for me. Things are going good for me. Things are going well for me. Why, this is this is a good world to live in. God has given me good experiences. We're constantly searching for evidence of God's activity. I would encourage you to root your life in verse 6. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We just had Satan blinding the unbelievers from seeing this, and God in his mercy has allowed we who believe to see this. The subject is what? Not losing hope. Where does Paul look in this difficult first century mission to convince people of the glory of Christ? Where does he look to find hope? And this is for you as well. Where does he look? He looks to the God who created all things and spoke words of creation with such power, speaking words, let there be light. God's thoughts were put into action instantaneously with great power. That same great power has now spoken words of redemption into our hearts, dark hearts. Darkness has come alive with light. What kind of light? The glory of Christ. The same one who spoke into creation is the one who has spoken into our hearts. Is there any hope in there? (laughs) Is there any hope? In fact, you could argue that that second redemptive speaking of God is even greater than creation for uh, your soul is eternal and he has eternally saved it. So God has been the one who. By speech has given us hope. By speech, God is not silent. And this is what happens when we lose hope. We think God is silent. We look at our circumstances. Certainly it seems like he's silent there. We, we lose sight of God who speaks. Now that's all set up. <laughs> that's all set up for verse 7. this eye-opening grace to the soul is the foundation for not losing heart and now life begins. Are you ready for life? Do uh, you want to follow the Apostle Paul? you want to walk with him? By the way, this is the sustaining grace in Paul's life toward the Corinthians who did not love him. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, it shows up in weddings, right? You know the famous love passage? Do you know what Paul's saying there? You don't love me. If you had a friend write you a letter and describe to you what love is, what do you think they're trying to say to you? They're trying to say, you could grow in love a bit. And now, you see... This God who has given us mercy and has spoken it into our hearts with such loving mercy is now working in us the movement of his grace. The movement of his grace from heaven to earth into our hearts. Now you are part of a movement and it is irresistible. So what do we do with this life now? Paul introduces some really radically difficult subjects. (laughs) And uh, he just unveils it to these people. Look at verse 7. And we have this treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Um, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Don't you want power in your life? Power to fix your problems. Power to fix that co-worker. Power to fix that spouse. Don't you want power? You know what I mean? Ministers want power. Power is, you know, power is a big deal. Power is a big deal in our culture. Paul says, yeah, we have power. Well, um, but it's from God and not ourselves. What we are is overlooked pitchers for water. Yeah. You go to a restaurant, do you ever stare at the pitcher of water? You ever notice it? No. We are the unnoticed containers. And this is really important. We're the unnoticed containers. Uh, And now, how are we treated? How are we treated? We're treated like unnoticed containers. We are treated like disposable things. Now, do you want power? To overcome ill treatment with love. That people are not your source of power. What they give you, what they provide for you, if they compliment you, great. Take the compliment. If they support you, great. Take the support. But you do not connect your umbilical cord, your spiritual umbilical cord to them as if they can sustain your life. This is what the Corinthians are doing. They've turned to some aspect of their, of their cultural habits the eloquence they want in some preacher, the what they expect in a leader, and they've plugged themselves into that. And Paul says, no, disposable containers is what you want. Verse 8. All these subjects, by the way, relate to people. <laughs> All these subjects relate to people. Two subjects in verse 8. Affliction and perplexion. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Underline every way. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Uh, Crushed is an emotion, isn't it? Crushed. These are kind of synonyms, they seem to be to me. Uh, Despair is an emotion, isn't it? Could also be even a whole worldview. Despair. remember verse 6 what was what would sustain the apostle paul in all this difficult world god has spoken into his heart and something permanent has happened and though it feels like fire is coming their way god has done a permanent work in their heart, in his heart look at verse 9 we are pers- we are pers- excuse me we're crushed Perplexed but not driven to despair. Verse 9 Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about, look at verse 10, in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Reformation Study Bible, page 1677, says. There, these are evidence that he has no effective strength in himself, and that as Christ died, so also Paul knows he is dead in terms of his own ability to accomplish anything of eternal significance. Always carrying about in us the body of death, or the the body, excuse me, in the body the death of Jesus. Verse eleven: For we who live are always being given over to death. For the sake, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death. What do we carry about in our lives in order that others might live? We carry death. The Apostle Paul had died to his reputation as a religious person. We are called to die to our education, die to our knowledge, die to our life experience, die to our resume, die to people's opinions of you, die to your goals, ambitions, and glory. You're living like Jesus. Not my will be done, but yours, O Father. Death to our expectation of dignity, of being treated a certain way, dying to that like Jesus. Death to how we think we should be accepted. Death to our needs being met. We who've grown up in this era, in this time, we have all at some level been influenced by Abraham Maslow and his famous hierarchy of needs. Basically, the premise of his hierarchy of needs is that until your needs are met, you'll never love, you'll never love others. So in one sense Maslow got it right, our needs in Jesus are met, and now let's get loving other people, but without Jesus you will forever be an endless need bucket. Death to being loved, and we carry in our body the death of Jesus. it would be wise for us to begin to construct a prayer for how we begin our day. Today, Jesus, help me receive the death that you have for me that I might live and give life to other people. Now, what is giving life to other people? It's giving patience. It's giving, it's giving forbearance. It's giving a, a second doubt. Giving a, a benefit of the doubt, I should say. It's it's the a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. How often should I forgive my brother? Peter asked one time. I mean, how serious should I take this forgiveness thing? Well, you take the forgiveness thing as serious as, as Jesus does. And then you'll be okay, Peter. So we... I mean, don't you feel a little uncomfortable here? Like, well, what, what is this, all this death stuff? And won't I, will I be okay in the middle of all this stuff? That's what the gospel's for. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is for. That God has shown into your hearts that there's a permanent work going on in you, and what you can die to is what is temporary and momentary. Pastor, you can die to your reputation in, in all your kingdom building. It's all momentary anyway. Rejoice in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 kind of stuff. God's, God's done something permanent in you and let that be the foundation of your life. Work at it. Work at it by faith. God has spoken into your soul, folks. He's spoken into your soul. That's better than, than, than any life you could imagine. That's better than anything you could acquire. God, who the eternal God, has looked upon you in mercy and He made you wake up to His reality and He introduced you to His Son and you came running saying, what was I thinking? Verse 10, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Now that is manifested imperfectly. There's just no perfection in that. But... It's manifested. This is remarkable. So the life of Jesus is in some way on display. Again, that life probably best is described as the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. Wouldn't it make sense for a person with all that Paul's gone through to just lose heart? Man, look what he just described. Like, I'm not welcome anywhere. I walk into cities and I just get beat up. And discarded like a disposable broken clay pot, and now he takes it and goes, "You know what? That's where all the treasure is, because the power doesn't come from us." Now, what do you when you hear that? What do you think in your heart? The power doesn't come from us. Is that like is that bad news or good news? Right now, what's going on in your heart? You're saying, uh, "I don't know. I like power," and. I don't know about this disposable disposable pitcher thing. I'd like to be a pitcher from the Ming dynasty. Yeah, that's who I am. That's my, I, I like self-importance, see. Well, there's a vibe coming off of you, and there's a vibe coming off of me. And if we think we're some sort of Ming dynasty container, right, some water pot, famous water pot, Well, you're going to communicate a vibe, the vibe of superiority, the vibe of arrogance. And not a few Christians have stunk it up. The vibe of humility. If God has done anything among you, Corinthians, it wasn't because of me. And if he does it among you through someone else, it isn't because of them. That's what he's saying. And so the minister has to get over themselves. And so do all the followers of Christ. And that is really what Jesus discipled his followers in. They could not get over themselves. And so Jesus just walked to the cross, and they came to the end of themselves. All their boasting, all their pretension, all their All that stuff came crashing down and then Jesus rebuilt their lives and the world was never the same. So, what's the vibe? What's the vibe? The vibe at its core is a very humble, non-superior vibe. It's the vibe of a disposable pitcher that's overlooked, doesn't draw attention to itself, and glories in the power of God. That's kind of like what Jesus is like. Let's pray. What's the life of Jesus, Father? What is the life of Jesus? Father, help us to discover that. Thank you for your remarkable grace in us that you have spoken. You've spoken powerfully and you have converted us and you have brought our souls to saving knowledge and uh, help us to face life as it really is and to not lose heart. In Christ's name, amen.